Well, our reading for this morning is coming from the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be looking at just uh, three verses in Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 to 25. Give ear, this is God's word. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. This is God's word. Well, it is the first Sunday of January. It's, it's resolution time. So how many of you have made resolutions already? Show of hands. How many of you have already broken your resolutions? <laughs> um, do you have any goals that you've set this year? Do you, do you think like that? you have goals for work maybe? Things you want to accomplish this year at work for family life? Personal developmental goals? Do you have any resolutions you're making this year for your spiritual life? Now is the time. It seems like the only thing around this time that's more common than a New Year's resolution is a broken New Year's resolution, right? It seems like almost there's more broken resolutions than there are in the first place. The New, the New York Times ran an article, and it said this. It said that 80% of people give up on their New Year's resolutions by Valentine's Day. 80%. Don't make it through February. Oprah Winfrey was talked about in this article. Oprah, who four years ago was like the hope for all women, because she went from weighing, said this in the article, 237 pounds. She whittled her way all the way down to 160. Well, unfortunately, she appeared on the cover of her magazine three weeks ago, and she reported that she was back to her old 200-plus pound self. And she had this to say, I didn't just fall off the wagon. I let the wagon fall on me. 70% of coronary bypass patients revert back to their unhealthy lifestyle within a year of their surgery. So even the threat of life and death doesn't seem to be enough to keep people to stick with their their resolution. And and uh, I can tell you a personal story. I had a physical last year. The doctor told me my cholesterol was at 255. Yeah, not good. And uh, so I went ballistic, eating healthy. I cut all this kind of stuff out of my diet, and I was running a lot more. And then just little by little, you know, I crept back. It started, oh, just, you know, it doesn't matter. One meal won't make a big difference. Oh, I'm just not going to worry about it today. And then pretty soon, like, I don't know where I am now. Like, I really don't. But this is what happens to us. You know, and so we think about resolutions, and we think about, well, okay, this is the time to change. But it's tough. Even if we look at the world around us, it's tough to be optimistic about change. Isn't it? I mean, we just ended a year that saw 15,000 people in San Diego County lose their jobs. Right? Thousands more lost their homes in foreclosure. Businesses and charities are hurting. And for a lot of people, retirement accounts have been cut in half. So what do we do? I mean, is it even worth it to make a resolution? I saw a lot of you didn't raise your hands. You know, and, you know that's the route that a lot of people go. And some Christians even get spiritual about it. You know, and they, they quote Ecclesiastes 5.5. 5. Anybody know that offhand? It's better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. 
And so, you know, people come up and say, oh, I'm, I'm being spiritual, not making a vow, because uh, it's better just not even to try. And honestly, though, to give up making vows, it, it's really just a trade-off. Because if we don't make resolutions, then we have this underlying sense of guilt for not improving. Right? I mean, do you sense that? I think we have a God-given need in our hearts that, that's part of who we are that, that to be growing to feel like we're seeing progress and to get frustrated when we're stagnant. And we want to see growth in our careers and our family. We want to see growth spiritually. We want to become the people that we want to be, right? And we want to feel like we're at least making progress in that area. We want to feel like spiritually, if you think about spiritual resolutions, we want to know God better. We want to feel like we're closer to him. We want to feel like we know what he has to say in the Bible more. And, and the reality is that without goals, usually we just never make any progress at all so again the question comes what do we do well i think that the key is to choose goals that you know god will bless that's a good place to start choose goals that you know god will bless And as we look at our passage today we're going to see two goals that i think we should have but more than that we're also going to see today how we can make these goals last okay how we can make these goals last so our three points today are these first share the kingdom by communicating the gospel. Second, do the kingdom by healing people of their problems. And then third, do this together as the church. So first, share the kingdom by communicating the gospel. This is verse 23. It says that Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. Okay, so Jesus was preaching and teaching the good news of the kingdom. So this idea, the gospel of the kingdom, is a phrase, honestly, if we, if we, stop and, if we don't stop and think about it, it just kind of runs right over our heads, right? The gospel of the kingdom, what does that mean? It's such a rich word. It's used so many times in the gospels. It, the, the gospels talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Jesus. What does it mean? What does it mean? I mean, in a sense, if we're going to share it, if I'm going to tell you you need to make a resolution to share the kingdom by communicating the gospel, you have to know it first, right? And so what does it mean? Well, here's what it means. It means the gospel of the kingdom means the good news that God is in control, okay? The good news that God is in control. And this phrase actually isn't just designed to be a standalone phrase. The phrase tells a story. Throughout the Old Testament, in so many places, there's talk of a day that was to come when God would come and reign. And when he would come and reign, when he would take control, he would heal and bless the world. He would make the world the way it was always supposed to be. And so when Jesus is going around announcing the kingdom and the gospel of the kingdom, he's saying that in my ministry, at last, God is going to reign. This is Jesus' proclamation. And so as he announces, he's saying, look, there's joy in living under God's authority. There's joy when God is in control. When you live under God's word and under his direction, there's joy when you see God's power at work in the world. When you see destructive leadership being taken down and God becoming king and more and more of the world, this long-awaited hope, you know, the... The, um, the, the Christmas carol that we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. 
I mean, that's what we're longing for. That's what the people of Jesus' day were longing for. They were saying, come, God, come, please, and finally liberate us from our captivity. I mean, what are you enslaved to today? What is binding you? What can you not break free of? It's habits, destructive behavior, in a bad relationship. What is it? Well, God's kingdom coming means liberation. It means God's power at work. This long-awaited hope that the God who made the world would finally be running the show on earth as it is in heaven. This is the gospel of the kingdom. And Jesus is saying that in his ministry, it's finally coming true. It's finally coming true. And so what's interesting is that this proclamation was also an invitation. Okay, Jesus was inviting people into this new world that God was creating. Right? It's almost like in one person, in Jesus, God began to remake the world. And as, as people began to follow him, they became part of that. And so that's the invitation for us today. Matthew would want us, I want you to be aware that you can come into this kingdom. Or if you're already in the kingdom, you can participate in this kingdom even more fully. You know, in Jesus' day, people had lots of ideas of how the world should be fixed. Some people thought it was through military might. Other people thought it was through co, you know, um, being in cahoots with, with, the, with, the, with the evil authorities. Other people thought, well, we just needed to leave the city and go live in communes outside and become really holy. And by doing you know, these various things, we could bring God's kingdom. That's how God would fix the world. And Jesus is saying, look, I am what God is doing in the world. If you want to line up, if you really want to experience what God's doing in the world, if you really want to experience what life was meant to be, then follow me. That's his invitation to all of us this morning. And so resolve to follow Jesus. I mean, just to be part of his kingdom, but then resolve to do what Jesus did and make a resolution to share the kingdom by communicating the gospel. Okay, let 2009 be filled with you understanding and then sharing the good news with others. Wherever God calls you, right? In the midst of your work and your play, in your family, with your friends, with your neighbors, share the good news. And as we say that, look, I want you to know that we all have different parts to play in this. Some of you will be out there sharing with people and convincing them about Jesus. Others will invite people to a service so that someone else can share with them. Others will be able to share what God is doing in your life, you know, and how God is making a difference. Other people will offer to read the Bible with a friend or maybe read a book about the Bible and go through it together with somebody. Um, others are going to maybe invite a friend to join him in a mercy ministry, you know, where you're serving the city together. In 2009, I want you to think about and commit to sharing the gospel in three areas. Okay, in three areas, in the church, in your neighborhood, and in your city. Okay, in the church, in your neighborhood, and in your city. I want you to find one person here at Harbor, one person, and build a relationship with them so that you can help them understand the good news of Jesus and how it makes a difference in their life. Okay, and then I want you to find one person this year who's not a Christian, and build a relationship with them so that you can help them understand how Jesus might make a difference in their life. And in the city, I want you to think about and, and obviously pray about these things and ask God to bring the person, ask God to bring the instance, but 
want you to try to identify one need in San Diego and think through what would it mean if Jesus is in control, if Jesus is reigning, if Jesus has his way and everybody's following him, what would this problem in San Diego look like? And begin to share that with others. So again, you want to pray that God would open doors for you. It's interesting because there is a difference between how we share and how Jesus shared. Okay? Jesus was announcing the kingdom. He was saying, the kingdom is here, the kingdom is in me, and there were things that Jesus was doing that would, that would prove that. But in a sense, the people that were listening to Jesus, they had to have faith in Jesus. It wasn't until the resurrection that you got definitive proof that Jesus really did speak for God. Does that make sense? I mean, Jesus, anybody can get up and say things. You know, anybody can do, you know, uh, can, can perform different acts. Um, but it wasn't until the resurrection of Jesus that he was vindicated. You know, at his death, most people thought, oh, okay, well, I guess he wasn't right. You know, oh, I guess he, you know, he said great things. It seemed like from the things he was doing that, boy, it seemed like he was a spokesperson for God. But at his death, people thought, well, I guess he wasn't. Because the Savior's not supposed to die. The King's not supposed to die. But at the resurrection, Jesus, the Bible, Romans 1.4 says that God declared Jesus to be the Son of God, which means King, with power in the resurrection from the dead. That at his resurrection, there was no longer any doubt that Jesus was, in fact, the King. That he was a spokesperson for God. So, but prior to the resurrection, in Jesus' ministry, he was calling people to follow him, and they needed to have faith. How is that different from us? Well, for us, it's different because the resurrection's already happened. I want you to try to grab hold of this. Jesus has already been vindicated. He, okay, he was raised from the dead. Our faith, our way of life has been publicly and in history declared to be right because Jesus rose from the dead. Now, this isn't about putting on airs. This isn't about saying, oh, well, we're better than everybody else. It's not about that at all. It's just to say that we can have confidence to follow Jesus because he was raised from the dead. And just as God vindicated Jesus, just as God raised Jesus up from the dead to declare that he was right, so God will vindicate your life when you follow Jesus. Your life will demonstrate wholeness, happiness, joy. It will, it will demonstrate that you have been endorsed by God and that you belong to him. And so you want to think through these things as you resolve to share the gospel with people. Think about these questions. What part of the good news do people need to hear? You want to ask yourself that when you think about that person here in the church, that person outside of the church, that need in the city, what is it? What aspect of the good news do people need to hear? Right? For some people, they need to hear that, you know what, there is forgiveness with God. For others, others, other people need to hear, you know what, there's power that comes from believing in Jesus. That if you believe in him, you actually change. Your old self dies and you are raised up. And you are given power from God. God comes and lives in your heart. Some people need to hear that, you know what? God has called each of us and given us a commission to fill the world with his glory and to help the, the, the whole world honor him. 
Right? You want to ask yourself, what is it? Which of the truths of the gospel, what facets of the truth of Jesus do we need to share with people to help meet their particular, to meet their needs? You want to ask, what's great about living and working in San Diego? Right? How is downtown special? And you want to show how these things, how these wonderful things are blessings from God. You want to ask, what's problematic about living and working in downtown San Diego? Right? Where, where are the issues? Where are the idols? Where are the things that we try to find happiness in and, and, and they just can't deliver for us? And as you identify those things, help people to realize that those things are dead ends and to use that as an opportunity to share the real solution that comes from being part of God's kingdom. And so, again, this first resolution that I think God will bless for you in 2009 is to share the gospel. Share the gospel. Well, second, not only do we share the kingdom, but do the kingdom by healing people of their problems. This is uh, verses 23 and 24. This is so important to see and to understand. Jesus didn't just come teaching and preaching about God. Jesus spent an amazing amount of time healing people. And we need to hear this. Okay, We need to hear this because Jesus wasn't just telling people. He wasn't just sharing the kingdom. He was doing the kingdom. Okay, He was performing acts that showed what the kingdom was like, that showed the kingdom that he was preaching and teaching about. And honestly, conservative churches tend to get this wrong. Right, conservative churches tend to say, well, we need to share the kingdom. We need to share and share and share as clearly and in as many ways as we possibly can. And, well, if we have any energy left over, then we should do the kingdom. Right? And that's backwards. Liberal churches fall on the other side, and they're so busy doing the kingdom that they never share about the Jesus who is the king of the kingdom. Right? Well, the gospel says that we need to do both. Jesus didn't think sharing was enough. Okay? Just sharing the good news isn't enough. Jesus healed everyone of everything that plagued them. Okay? In this text, there are seven different kinds of healings. You know, there's seven different ways that Jesus heals. There's seven locations mentioned in this passage. You know, and so what we see here, the author's trying to say, it's everyone, everywhere, of everything. Jesus was, bring, was, was healing people indiscriminately. Now, why? Why did Jesus heal people? I mean, in one sense, you could say, gosh, don't the miracles really sort of distract people from the message? I mean, if you're not careful, you're going to get people that are following you, Jesus, just to see the miracles, and they're not even going to listen to the message. Right? Aren't the miracles actually a, a distraction from what's really important, the message? No. No. Jesus wasn't just demonstrating power, okay? He wasn't just declaring that he, was, that he could do things that nobody else could do. There's, some, there's a connection that's far greater, far richer, and far more wonderful because it beautifully ties in. The miracles of Jesus tie directly in to the kingdom that Jesus was proclaiming, the kingdom that he was teaching and preaching. One author said this, the healings were signs of the new thing that God was doing through Jesus. They were signs of this new thing. God's kingdom was at last being unleashed on Israel and the world through Jesus. How could this not bring healing in its wake? Tim Keller said that we think of the miracles as Jesus suspending the natural order of things to bring about something supernatural. But actually... 
the miracles are done as God's way of showing us what should be natural. What should be natural. It shows the way life is supposed to be if God had his way completely. If God was in control, then this, then the healings show what life would be like if God was in control. And so what we see here is that these miracles are foretastes of the kingdom. These miracles are like movie trailers. They're like previews of God's perfect kingdom. Let me give you an example. So in God's perfect kingdom, no one will go hungry. And so Jesus feeds the hungry. In God's perfect kingdom, there will be no disease or sickness. And so Jesus heals disease and sickness. Right? The miracles show what the kingdom is like. They show what life in the kingdom is like. In God's perfect kingdom, all evil will be overcome and eradicated. And so Jesus casts out demons that were oppressing people, that were keeping people enslaved in evil patterns and habits. And so Jesus was doing the kingdom by healing people of their problems. Well, do we play a part in that? I I personally don't have the ability to, to do these kinds of healings. Is our role then just to tell people? Well, Jesus healed people way back then, and in the future he'll heal everybody perfectly. No, no, you should resolve. Your second resolution should be this year to heal people of their problems too. Okay, you should resolve that in 2009, you are going to heal the people around you. How? Well, what are the needs around you? Is it sickness? Are there people who are homeless? Do you know people who have relationship problems, marital problems, financial problems? We do the kingdom. We do this healing ministry of Jesus when we are part of helping solve the pain and the needs of those around us. Okay? We carry on Jesus' healing ministry when we seek to help solve the pain and the needs of others. This is what we need to resolve to. Several months ago, I was talking with Jamie, my oldest daughter. Um, we were talking about homelessness and hunger. This was kind of around the time where, um, well, I mean, where she shared her testimony about it. And she asked me, she said, Daddy, why doesn't God just do a miracle like Jesus did and feed everybody? You know, and I'd thought about that before, but for some reason it hit me in a different way. I don't know if it was the way she asked it, but a couple of ideas came together for me. And I said, well... Let's think about this for a second. Which would show more of God's power, Jamie? If God were to enable one person to do a miracle to make enough food appear for everyone in San Diego? Or God filling 10,000 people in San Diego with his love and his heart so that they would work together to end hunger in San Diego? Think about that. Which one shows more power? I mean, really, one person who's got a magical ability. I mean, I'm not trying to detract from the ministry of Jesus, but I'm just saying, let's think about this. Which takes more power? One person doing miracles or 10,000 people working together to solve a problem? I mean, it hit me that God is still doing miracles. But the miracles that he's doing are in our hearts. 
It's the transformation of our hearts. And he, again, he's unleashing more power today through people who are part of his kingdom than he did through the miraculous ministry of Jesus. I mean, it's a different kind of miracle, but it's a miracle when needs get met. You know, God knows that we want to see proof that he's real. Right? God's not stupid. He understands that everybody wants to be sure and they want to get a sign, right? They ask for signs in Jesus' day. We continue to ask for signs today. God, how do we know that you're real? Please show proof that you're real. And what we see is that God knows the best way to do this. He is wise. A miracle worker draws a crowd. But what happens when you see a miracle worker? What do you think? Usually you think two things. You think, first of all, well, okay, yeah, it's great that he can do that. You know, I'm not like that. I don't have that power. I can't do that. And so there's no part that you're playing in, this, in being a solution, right? You trust in that one person that's not you who can do it. The other thing that we think is, well, that's, that's, well, if I had that power, I'd do it. I mean, these are the things that we think about when we see the miracle worker. Well, God has set it up so that our lives are the proof that God is real. You realize that? Your life, your sharing and doing the kingdom of God is the proof that God is real. Jesus says as much in John 17. He says, when you love one another, the whole world will know that God sent me as the Messiah. Everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another in John 13. This is powerful. And this is why doing the kingdom is so important. It's our doing the kingdom. It's meeting the needs of others that makes people want to listen when we share the kingdom. Right? When you, it's, it's our, it's what makes people stop and take notice. You know, anybody can talk about their spirituality. Anybody can talk about ideas in their head about a relationship with God. But what people can't deny is the transformed life. People that are doing things that make no sense to them, and so they have to ask, gosh, why are you doing this? And when they do, you can say, well, it's my faith that motivates me. And it's actually my faith that gives me the power to do this. And guess what? If you believe in Jesus, he'll do the same thing for you. He'll end up doing the same thing with you. You'll become part of the same thing that we're doing. And so again, it's the miracle of our changed lives. That's how we become the strongest reason. We, like, it's our lives that are the strongest reason why people would want to believe in Jesus. And this marriage of Jesus, we see in the text, this marriage of the word ministry and the deed ministry of Jesus, this is what these things together made him famous throughout the world. Right? All the regions, Jerusalem, Judea, Galilee, Decapolis, the region across from the Jordan, everywhere, north, south, east, and west, everybody, Jesus was becoming famous because... He was sharing the kingdom and doing the kingdom. And I'd say the same exact thing will happen for you. When you share and you're doing the kingdom, you will become known as someone who walks with God. You'll become known as someone who's got a connection to God that draws people in. And the same thing will happen for us here at Harbor Downtown. We'll become a place that's known for deeds and for words. And so in 2009... I want you to look to do the gospel in these same three areas. Okay, and it could be with the same person, right? That per, the, 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 the people that you're sharing with. But I want you to, to do the kingdom in the church, 
in the neighborhood, in the city. Right? So I want you to find one person and invest in healing their problems this year. Okay? Whatever, in, in whatever way you can. Do a part in healing the problems of someone else here in the family. And then in your neighborhood, find a person who's not a Christian and invest in being part of the solution to the problems in their lives. And then again, as you identify a need in San Diego, I'm talking about the whole year, right? I'm not saying you have to do all this next week, okay? But I want you to make a plan and begin to pray and resolve to try to be part of the solution to that thing that's the, 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 in San Diego that needs healing. And so these are the two resolutions that I think come from this text, things that we need to be about, sharing and doing the kingdom. The question is, how do we do this so that it lasts? Right? Where do we get the power to do these things? I mean, you might be excited and motivated to do it now, but what are you going to do tomorrow morning? Right? What are you going to do in a week? What are you going to do on Valentine's Day, right? When 80% of the world chucks their resolutions, how do we get through that so that we can make it past February? Right? And then how can we also do it in a way that doesn't make us feel like we're back on that spiritual hamster wheel, right? where we're just, trying to, we're just trying to grit our teeth and force it? Well, the answer is our third point. Our third point, and that's that we need to do it together as a church. Do it together as a church. And this is special because it shows that in order to share and do the kingdom, we have to be the kingdom for each other. Okay? In order to share and do the kingdom, we have to be the kingdom with each other. And so we need two things from the church. Okay, first, we need each other. Bottom line, you can't do it on your own. You just can't. Your resolutions will fall to the wayside if you try on your own. You need the support. You need the encouragement. And so you need to be sharing your resolutions with friends, with a spouse, with people in your life. You need to share them as specifically as you possibly can. You need to share them because the more specific you are, the more real your resolution is. Okay? And you need to have people asking you how you're doing. It's just too easy to give up when we're working alone. And, and as I think about that, I just, you know, it hit me. There's so many wonderful things about Harbor Downtown. One of the things, though, that reminds me about heaven when I'm here, honestly, is the range of ages that are here in downtown. Okay, we've got people on both ends of the spectrum and, and all kind of filled in between. Okay, we've got people on the gray side of life. We have people on the, on, the, on, the, on the youthful side of life. And that is absolutely essential. And, and as, I've, as I've been thinking about it, as God has sort of enlarged my own heart for downtown, I'm thinking, what do people who live and work in downtown need? They really need a place where they can come and interact with people who aren't their age. Right? Younger folks need older people in their life. They need to be able to talk to people. Sometimes they need people who aren't their parents right? to talk to, um, to be able to share experiences, to be able to share mistakes that are made, to be able to give advice and wisdom because somebody has gone through it before, maybe gone through it several times before. And folks who are older, they need the fresh perspectives that come from folks that are younger. They need the energy that comes from folks who have energy to give and who have extra energy. That, and, and so as I think about that, we, we need to take advantage of that. I mean, you need to look around and you need to realize that God has blessed us with something that's incredibly unique, that this is an environment where people from all ages come together and can share life together.
Take advantage of that. Be available to people. Be available. If you're older or younger, be available to share with each other. We want to build a strong community here so that we have something to offer folks that come in. This is something that just, it excites me. It excites me about downtown. It excites me as I'm thinking through, well, gosh, how do we harness this? How do we help people to connect? And so I hope that, but so this is one of the things that we need from each other. And then secondly, not only do we need each other, but we also need Jesus. Okay? We need Jesus, and we get Jesus also from the church. Jesus is our resolution solution. Okay? And Jesus is what separates the church from every other organization in the world. It's not just that we need the support of others, but we also need, and the miracle is that we get the strength of Jesus. When you believe in him, when you become part of this kingdom, you get the strength and power of Jesus. What are you looking for this year? What are you hoping to become this year? You need patience? What if I told you that God would give you the patience of Jesus himself? Do you want more self-control, self-discipline? How would you like to be filled up with the self-control, the self-discipline of Jesus? Maybe Maybe you're hearing this and you want to invest in relationships, in the church, in your neighborhood, in the city. How would you like the heart of Jesus to beat in you? That heart that gave, invested every last ounce of his own energy, his passion, his tears, and his blood to bring about God's kingdom and to heal the world. This is the gospel. It's not just what if God were to do this. This is what the gospel is. If you believe in Jesus, God gives you Jesus. If you're not what you need to be, Jesus invested his tears and his blood for you. God offers forgiveness because Jesus died for your sins. And God then offers you whatever it is that you need right now if you would come into his kingdom. And if you do believe in Jesus, you have these things already. You have all these things. Ephesians 1.3, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 2 Peter 1, that God has given us everything for life and godliness. We have the fruit of the Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit in us. The the gospel is that when you believe, the Spirit of God comes into your heart, you're united to Jesus, and He lives in you. And so who He is, is in you. It's not your patience that needs to grow. You need to understand that you have His patience. Right? It's not your self-control that needs to grow. You need to understand more fully and more consistently that you have his self-control. And maybe you just didn't know it. This goes back to that tar- the, the, you know, the Tarzan book that we preached on last year. You know, Tarzan grows up and his whole life he thinks he's an ape because that's what he's taught. And then he begins to read and he learns, hey, I'm human. And as he's learning what it means to be human, he becomes more human. As you read the Bible, as you listen to preaching, as you understand the gospel, you realize, wait a minute, God has made me something different. If anyone believes in Jesus, 
he or she is a new creation. Your old self dies and you are raised up and you have the heart, the emotions, the feelings, the passion of Jesus himself because he lives in you. Boy, that's good news. I mean, this is the whole point of the Lord's Supper. We're going to be observing the Lord's Supper, but this is exactly what God wants us to understand as we participate in it. Jesus gave his body and his blood for you. And now he fills you. As real as the bread is, as the juice, the wine is, as real as the food is that we eat that gives us strength, that's how real your union with Jesus is. You commune with Jesus in such a deep and internal and intimate way. It's like you're eating his flesh and drinking his blood. If there is anything that you lack, you come to the table and God gives it to you because he gives you Jesus. With Jesus, you become like him. And so, Christian brothers and sisters, when you remember your resolutions, as you set, you take these resolutions on, as you set more resolutions, also remember that you are in the kingdom of God. You are members of his kingdom And so bring your resolutions to God in prayer and remember that you are united to Jesus and you'll have his power and his strength in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the wonder of the gospel. Thank you for bringing your kingdom, not just into the world, but into our hearts. God, we are overjoyed to think that you would dwell in us, but yet when we believe, we, we know it's true. God, I see your love welling up in my own heart. I see your joy and your peace, your patience and forgiveness. God, I see these things. When I remember that I'm united to Jesus, I see these things become reality in my life. God, help all of us to experience this union with Jesus, who is our source of strength, our source of hope. God, now as we look to the table, Help us to experience our union with him in an even more intimate way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.